When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. Mm. Happy spooky season. Happy spooky season. That's right. Oh, I feel so alive um, <laughs> and dead. <laughs> I love this time of year, even with all the horrible, like, you know, things going on that nobody can leave their house or do anything still. Um, it gives me hope and, uh, you know, fills me with a sense of, of it fills me with the sense of, um, like necessariness, I don't know, but like everybody's reaching mm-hmm. out to me, asking me about horror movies to watch and, you know, suggestions for things. And it just feels really nice, you know? <laughs> nice. <laughs> that one month of year, everybody really needs me. Mm. Uh, it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> for fun things, not just because, you know, they're in crisis. And Exactly. No one's... Exactly. Um... <laughs> I, um, I, you would be really proud of me because I have started listening to my Halloween spooky music playlist, which is like music that has like references to, you know, spooky things, but it's also some music that's been in, um, other horror films. And so right now I'm doing this thing on Facebook where every day I'm posting like a needle drop that was in a horror film or a horror TV show. Oh, cool. So, like, like today was um, Total Eclipse of the Heart um, and the scene that's in it from Urban Legend. Shout out to Connor. Um, and uh, the other day was the the scene where um, Chris is taking a shower in <laughs> Get Out, uh, that uh, Childish Gambino song. Um, but... I, you would be really proud of me because I have been stuck in my head the last two days. Um, Living Dead Girl has been stuck in my head for two days. Um, (laughs) Why? I was listening to it. Well, I was listening to it on the way home from work the other day. And, you know, there's nothing quite like just kind of like letting leaving for the weekend and like list like kind of grooving out to this like rock music and I'm, now i have like living dead girl stuck in my head so nice and there we are i like it it's um a good but yeah so it's the, uh, so there you go i thought you'd be proud of me we haven't watched it for the show yet. We will one day, because um, I still really do want to do our Brides series. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, Living Dead Girls, the opening credit song for Bride of Chucky. Oh, nice. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Super fun. Uh, speaking of that, if, uh, you know, make sure you check the comment sections or make sure, you know, if um, I know, dear listener, you are following us on all the social medias already. But if not, you know, make sure you're following us at Fright School on Twitter and Instagram and all of that. But if you go to Instagram or Facebook or whatever, um, or in the comment section of this notes, you will find a link to our 31 Days of Horror calendar. Which uh, mm-hmm. I put together, Joe and I put together. We each chose uh, our favorite films that we've discussed on the show. And we put together this linkable calendar. So it has a suggestion for each day of the week uh, for a you know a horror movie to watch. And it links you to our episode about that particular film. So you can watch the movie and hear our thoughts on it if you have not. Um, I know you've listened to every single episode, of course. Uh, but in case you haven't, <laughs> it's a pretty easy way to get to our, our thoughts on a particular film. Uh, it's also kind of organized. I organized it a little bit because, you know, the films that we ended up choosing, Joe, they did kind of fit into a few different patterns. <laughs> so... Mm. We got Sundays for the most part. It's not it's not a hundred percent because of a few particular choices I made on particular days, but Sundays are bloody Sundays with vampire suggestions. Mondays are Black Horror Mondays with um, uh, some excellent uh, Black Horror, including the documentary Horror Noir, to kick us off. Um, Tuesdays are queer. Tuesdays, so all queer mm-hmm. horror films. Uh, Wednesdays are Woman Crush Wednesday, so it's all uh, movies about women. Uh, Thursdays, I think it's throwback, so like classic horror. Freaky Fridays are some of the goriest gross-outs that we've had, um, except one Friday, because I think the 25th, October 25th, I decided to do was Christmas in October for our Anna and the Apocalypse, and I think that's a Saturday, so it kind of threw off a little bit. Uh, it's Saturday, a Sunday. Or it's a Sunday. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I kind of had to play a little bit with it. So I put, like, the last vampire film is on a Saturday instead of Sunday. But otherwise, Saturdays are for family entertainment <laughs> or <laughs> things to do with friends, you know. So it's kind of fun, uh, you know, you journey through different types of horror each day of the week and uh, linked all to our fun voices in your earballs. Uh, <laughs> our, our thoughts. Um, We've got lots of guests on the shows, and it's just—it's a very good lineup. I'm very proud of it this year. So go you, Joe. You pick some good ones. Oh well, thank you. I <laughs> thank you. I was like, this is a diff. It's, it's definitely kill your darlings. Like I, I have found it really difficult. Um, and also, like a lot of my favorite episodes. Uh, as we realize, a lot of my favorite episodes are are ones where we're not talking about any film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're just talking to people. Um, but uh, it's been it's been interesting because it's like I I'm not so I am like not following the calendar, but I'm doing but I'm actually keeping up with watching a horror thing every day, Very which cool. has been difficult in the recent years. Like, which has been difficult every October because October is usually when I take a vacation. And it's like, well, you know, I'm half of October. I'm like out somewhere, but I'm not going anywhere this year. So, (laughs) (laughs) so horror all the time. Um, And, um, and I, and I know like, it's been fun because like I've been texting with some friends who are following our calendar um, and it's been really cool to kind of like, let them know that um, my friend Stephanie who um, I know through young David, actually, she, 
was watching Dead Alive, and she was like, "What the hell am I watching?" And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, well, this is why you need to read. This is why you need to listen to our episode with Heather, um, because uh, you know." you're going to find a really rich conversation about like New Zealand and its colonial past. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had a friend tell me that, you know, they'd heard that and they're like, man, I'm going to have to watch it. They'd listen to the episode without seeing the film, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they were like, yeah, I can't wait to watch that now because of the conversation about colonialism. They're like, this sounds really fascinating. <laughs> so shout out to Heather. Uh, that it, it was a really fun episode. So and I popped it up early because I was like, that is like the perfect movie to start out Freaky Fridays because it is gross as shit. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it was fresh. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. In other news, we have some brand new merch up available on the Fright School T Public uh, page. Uh, that's uh, so if you go to T Public and search FS Podcast, it will bring us up. I'll also obviously link it in the comments and available on our Instagram and uh, uh, Facebook feeds, Twitter, all of that. I'll put, uh, I think it's in our Linktree account too. So if you actually go mm-hmm. on to Instagram and click it, we have a whole, all of our links in one easy place uh, through our Linktree um, app or whatever. Uh, but we have some cool ones. We have uh, Joe and I both put together our. Um, uh, what, what do we even call those shirts? Like the name and shirts. The ampersand. Is that, I think they're. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was like when I, I've also called them the and shirts, but like, yeah. um, you know, our dear, our dear friend designer Jamie Channel Guzman, um, uh, we discovered the history of these like ampersand T-shirts, and so this, this meme, and so you know that one we've we've done. So there we are. Yeah, yeah there. So, and you've seen it, you know, on uh, out there in the social media, dear listener. Uh, you know, so it's usually like a, lo- a list of names with an and with an ampersand, uh, and they're all, they're linked in some sort of way. So that's I've now explained the meme. <laughs> so Joe and I, we each put together um, our own witches shirts. So mine are Ava and Ursula and Nancy and Fiona and Bellatrix. So you can get Joshua's favorite witches. Or you can get Joe's favorite witches, which are Endora and Louise and Lafayette and Ambrose and Cordelia. Uh, as you can see, we have a little theme going between the good and the bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, is I think it's it, on I mean, brand. Ambrose, I think it's on. I think it's very on brand. I also like, he's a little bit more. Yeah, he's know. a little more gray. Yeah. Um, he's you know he's he runs the middle in very many ways. Um, yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I also Mine have to put Louise. Bad guys, so. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, and then we also have um, our lovely Final Boys t-shirt. Yes, yeah, super excited about that. We decided, you know, um, there's lots of conversation about the Final Girls, but we wanted to put together a Final Boys with a Z. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, boys. Um, it, we were inspired by our dear friends, the Jersey Ghouls, who had yes. their own Final Girls t-shirt. Yes, and I so... Have great it's awesome and so we decided like you know we'll we'll make a version um of it uh for but boys only so yes and it's ash and jesse and charlie and tommy and alex and chris and so hopefully if you're in the know you'll know who all those boys are and what Mm -hmm. movies they're from so make sure you grab one we also have a brand new iheart freight school t-shirt which is super cute 
Uh, yeah, and we do have some more merch coming. We're working on some other designs, so you know you just got to keep a lookout. But uh, that's right now, and I guess there's a deal. Um, I'm not sure how much longer it runs, so hopefully people listening to that today will. Mm-hmm. I hope you go. You need to go today because um, T Public is the site that we host these uh, designs for, and when you upload a new design, it's on sale. Uh, for $7 less than what it would normally be. So normally the t-shirts are $20. You can get them right now for $13. Um, they, they always have sales periodically, so you can always check back. But you should definitely try to grab them now, um, you know, because they're on sale right now. So why not? Right, they're on sale. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And yeah, so if you go out and you buy one of these shirts, please make sure you tag us on the social media and uh, we might send you a little something fun. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm going to ship Joe in a box to your door to, uh, <laughs> I'll come sing it, you. <laughs> exactly. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so, lo- you know, lots of good news, you know, <laughs> is basically the thing. What if, uh, so I th- is that all business kind of stuff out of the, uh, out of the way, kind of out there now? <laughs> uh, that's, that's all the business. Do we have any, is there any, um, watching this week, uh, besides, well, you said you watched the new, um, babysitter film, right? So yeah, so I started watching, uh, well, I went back and rewatched um The Babysitter on Netflix, which is from 2017. Um stars uh Samara Weaving who was also in Ready or Not, she was in Hollywood. Um and you know, some other folks <laughs> as well. Um some other folks. I mean, it all. I mean, I'm really excited about like the the parents in the film because they're played by uh, Leslie Bibb and Ken Marino, um, who you know are just uh, you know Leslie Bibb uh, famously married to um, Sam Rockwell and then Ken Marino of the State. Um, but yeah, so it's you know, and that was again, it's like a fun, campy romp, um, really violently gra- violent. Uh, a violently graphic gore, uh, but also has a lot of heart, I think is what I described it to another person. And so they released the sequel to um, to The Babysitter uh, earlier this month. And so I, re- I, I rewatched in order to watch the second one. And um, it just, I mean, it could be the exact same movie, <laughs> pretty <laughs> much. Um, beat for beat, <laughs> the exact same movie, but still a lot of fun. So, you know. I I um I really enjoy one thing that I really like is when sequels uh they really shift like a character who was in the first film so you know maybe the character that was in the first film who was evil is now good or vice versa yeah and, you know without spoilers because this is a newer film without spoilers I won't go into detail but that kind of shift does happen in this one so all right. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. I haven't watched it yet. I would I would recommend it. It's a it's just a fun, you know, a fun movie. Yeah. Um, and it's on streaming on Netflix now, right? Streaming on Netflix. Netflix yes. original. Netflix original, very much streaming. 
Um, it's got Robbie Amell in it, who is shirtless the entire film, and we don't exactly know why. <laughs> um, which is funny because it's such a departure from his um, from his character that he plays in the Amazon series Upload, which uh, came out this quarantine. Um, and then, of course, also the famous Bella Thorne is also in it as well. Um, and she's got some great lines, too. She's super funny in it. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to watching it, so I'm glad that you had watched it before me and recommend it. Mm-hmm. So that would be fun. Um, here's something that's going to be f- for you, and that's really surprising. Um, I um, so when I was watching a movie with Jimmy Kins, um, my sweet Jimmy Kins, uh, we were watching. We've been doing this thing where we're going back and watching old, um, the like some of the older Disney animated films mm-hmm. because there's a lot of them that I haven't seen. Yeah, and so this one that we watched, they've just like he, we kind of said, oh, maybe it's a little horror. Um, was Sleeping Beauty. I had never seen Sleeping Beauty. Oh, and yeah. um, all at once, I was like. Uh, I am Meriwether, the little fairy. Um, yes, yes, you are. And you are definitely Maleficent. <laughs> you didn't invite me to my party, curses. <laughs> invite you to your party, curses well, on you. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really care about being not invited to a children's birthday party. But, um, <laughs> you know, we all have our things. And that that really stuck in Maleficent's craw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's one of the few Disney kind of things I have. You know, I've got a couple Ursula dolls, and I have a Maleficent doll, and uh, Maleficent is the dragon. I have, like, a plush version. Ooh. Yeah. So that's, you know, for the the Disney things I have. Well, outside of, like, Nightmare Before Christmas stuff. um, I do have have some cool Maleficent, you know, memorabilia. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What have you been watching? Uh, you know, I've been rewatching American Horror Story Hotel, uh, because I watched, it was so odd actually how this happened. I watched a Sarah Paulson video where she was going over like her wigs like, <laughs> over the course of her career, which was actually, it was really entertaining because whoever put together the video for her to comment on or the pictures or whatever, I'm not, you know, I don't know how that happens. Um, you know, but they show, it's like a mix of showing, you know, her in the role and then her talking about it. And so quite a few times she was like, that's not a wig. That's my real hair. And one of those, (laughs) one of those was Sally in hotel. Oh, wow. She's like, that was my real hair. And so I was going from that to, I was also filming Marsha Clark for the OJ Simpson, the American crime story um, series at the same time. So she like her hair looked like that. And she was going to put on her like Marsha Clark, fuzzy or curly wig <laughs> but it's and it was really amusing to me how she kept talking about like things kept popping up she's like well once again <laughs> that is my real hair <laughs> it was so funny and so it just made me want to rewatch hotel because i hadn't for a while and i like you know i i have you know mixed things with the hotel because i it is all over the place like a lot of american horror story very bloated uh, plot lines and I haven't, but I haven't seen it that often. And what I do like about it, especially in those, the first episode is like that kind of the hunger influence, mm-hmm. um, you know? Uh, so it's like, I just kind of fell into rewatching it. So I've, I've been doing that, you know? So I haven't really watched, have I watched anything new? 
I want to watch what is it, the Vampires versus the Bronx? Is Vampires that- versus the Bronx. Yeah, yeah. that's out. I plan to watch that. Um, maybe today. Um, that's that's on the list. Other than that, I mean, it's just been. Um, I'm I'm actually more focused on reading right now because uh, I did get that. Uh, sorry, I'm like uh, buh, 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 buh. Uh, <laughs> the sunken place class. Oh, huh, uh huh. Tanana Reevdu and Stephen Barnes uh, online uh, version of it. Uh, so I did buy I did buy that. So I've been kind of knee deep in reading. Uh, Tanana Reeves work and starting to read some of the suggested material in that in the first, uh, the first week, it's a six week self-guided course looking at black, uh, horror cinema. So I've been trying to more do that. So I'm reading her book right now, uh, called, I keep getting it mixed up because she's two that are kind of my soul to keep. She has My Soul to Keep and then My Soul to Take. So I'm starting with My Soul to Keep, which is part of her, like, Immortal Vampire series that she wrote. So I'm working on that right now. Uh, I also have a copy of Horror Noir, so I'm starting the first chapter of that along with uh, this course. So that's kind of, that's where I'm at right now. I'm getting wow. a full-on, deep, black horror education while I'm, uh, while I'm waiting for class to start since I got into the school I wanted to get into. Yay! That's, my, that's been my big news, you know. She I goes to college. No, your mom Look goes you. to college. She's getting in a. She's uh. She's out here getting getting uh, educated. Yes, yes. So that's actually been the big kind of relief, you know, good news in my life lately. Uh, of course, until I get the bill for the first semester. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm actually very very happy, um, and I've got lots of ideas for uh, now. Now that my future seems a little more sure. <laughs> in the in the plan that you know you make a plan of course lots of things will go awry mm-hmm. over the next few years while i work on these things i'm sure but um if i feel one step closer to reaching you know this the education goal that i have for myself um and how i'm going to continue to marry that with uh horror and fear mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh my goodness um other than that, yeah, that has been, so I've been sort of, yeah, doing a lot of reading. Uh, I just got my copy of Anatomica, which I talked about, the Joanna Ebenstein book from Morbid Anatomy. Uh, I saw a really good talk with Caitlin Doty, my favorite mortician, America's mm-hmm. favorite mortician. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's been, I have not been watching a lot of f- movies or film. Like, that's been kind of what I've been doing. Wow, you've you been know? reading. Yeah, I've been reading and just studying. And Cannot reading. relate. I, right. <laughs> I know you and Brian from horror movie night need to like team up. You know how he does like the Brian reads sometimes mm-hmm. like, you, know, you guys, like, need to team up and do something. <laughs> I think that would be delightful. Um, I, so I have been, um, I have been trying to do like what I pretty much all of our friends do, which is um, one horror movie a day for the month of October. Right. And so I'm, I'm keeping, I'm actually on track. Like, (laughs) I believe that I am on track. Um, I started it on October 1st with, um, Halloween Town 2 Calabar's Revenge, uh, which is my favorite Halloween Town movie in the series. I will fight anyone else who says otherwise. (laughs) Um, 
I've not seen any of those movies. Well, really? Hmm. I, you know, it was Hocus Pocus for me. So I, that was like the only Disney horror, quote unquote, you know, Halloween film that I remember seeing as a kid. So I never saw. Uh, it's got Bobby Adler in it, though. It's got yeah. I know, <laughs> Debbie I Reynolds. That. Yeah, Debbie Reynolds. Um, I know who that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's, I... I add, I think I added it to my watch list that I'm going to try to watch it, but I think it's again, one of those things that if you didn't see it as a kid, I might not enjoy it as much. Well, yeah. You definitely like, want to enjoy it now. Like you know, yeah. like, <laughs> you know, it's, I have to watch it cause I, I just enjoyed it so much as a kid. I think you'll love it from like the, from the aspect of like, it's, it's kind of hilarious to me because like one of the reasons why, I enjoy Halloween is like, it's the celebration of like, you know, the other, you know, the celebration of the freakies and all that stuff. And so, um, and basically it's like, what if, um, it's very like, um, like Marcus Garvey back to Africa movement, but like for spooky people, like (laughs) they have their own place, (laughs) you know, their own, like, you know, this horror version of Liberia (laughs) and Monrovia. Um, and, it's it's a lot of fun, and again, like if you watch it, you're probably just like eye roll. I would just probably put it on during dinner or something, <laughs> do like while yeah. you're getting ready for dinner or something, yeah. because it's um a lot of fun just to um just to ha- just to see what the big deal is about. I kind of want you to watch it because it was uh, Halloween Town was my touchstone around the same time as Hocus Pocus. Yeah, so. Okay. No, There's I think I will. I, you know, I, I've been looking for like, like antidotes for, you know, when I'm just feeling really kind of bummed out, but it's like, I don't necessarily want to watch like a horror, horror movie, mm-hmm. you know, but I want to put on like the Hocus Pocus or the witches or I don't know why I said the Hocus Pocus. I think it's because I was thinking <laughs> the witches at the same time. Hocus Pocus, the witches, you know, um, old Goosebumps episodes, things that just kind of put me in like a... Like, it feeds my inner child, you know, as starved for attention as they are. (laughs) Uh, You know, so I think Halloween Town would actually kind of be just a goofy watch, you know, as an adult. Just to, you know, kind of escape. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know, maybe not. But I will try to watch it for you, Joe. You have watched so much horror and so... (laughs) So, so much stuff that you would have never handpicked yourself for me. Inside, dumplings, like, (laughs) inside and dumplings and maybe audition are the three that come to mind when we talk about the movies that, like, you made me sit through. (laughs) (laughs) Well, dumplings, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel guilty for that because now you have the secret to eternal life, so. Well, that's true. I I still do enjoy a dumpling, like, you know. Exactly. So I don't want to. It has not ruined my enjoyment. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of the witches, super excited for the new adaptation. I saw the trailer came out. Uh, They've announced that it will be on HBO Max in just a couple of weeks. So I'm super excited because I was afraid we're going to have to wait till 2021. I'm definitely not on the, you know, and I think I've said it several times over the years, especially when we've watched films that have been remade, that I just, I'm not on the, like, sure, there are lots of original ideas that still need to be adapted. Um, particularly Hollywood really, really, truly does need to, to, to look at the work of black horror writers, sci-fi, fantasy horror, because there's so much 
amazing stuff to be mined. Um, that just kind of connects back to the conversation about Tanana Rivdu, um, Octavia Butler, you know, I mean, there are just, there are some really incredible works that, that do deserve adaptation, um, that are new and fresh ideas even, you know, on, you know, for things that are like, Oh, we have, we've done everything we can with vampires. Not true. There's still plenty to be mined there. If you get out of white male space. Um, but, that's, you know, here nor there right now with the, the point about the witches <laughs> is that like, I don't care about remakes, you know, because nobody's coming to take my original copies away. So I think that there's something to be said for just seeing a new take. Um, also, it's it's a novel, you know, so it's this is kind of like a readaptation. We don't need to even consider it a remake because it's mm-hmm. really not. It's taking the novel and doing something new with it. They've set it and I think it's going to be set in America in the 1960s. Uh, so there's going to be, I think, really room for some interpretation analysis given what we're going through right now. Uh, because they've also made the main character... Um, a black child with his grandmother and kind of what they're going. I think it's set in Alabama, even in the sixties. So I think there's a lot of space in it to have a a new conversation about uh, a group of witches preying on children in that context, I think is very exciting, especially led by a super fashionable white lady (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) from the trailer. Uh, you know, so, uh, which I loved, I loved the trailer. I loved all the clothing, uh, much like ratchet, you know, it's just like, I don't even really care if it was good or not. It was so fun. <laughs> beautiful, And I kind of felt that way about the trailer for the witches. So super excited about that. Uh, you know, if you want to watch the original, watch it and don't watch the new one. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Everybody will live and we'll move on. Uh, but, um, yeah, that's the other thing that I am excited for. Oh, and the craft. Oh my gosh. It's season of the witch. October mm-hmm. 2020, uh, the craft legacy. I am also tentatively excited for that. Um, again, because it's not a remake, it looks like it's a continuation. We do see a picture of Nancy in the trailer. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I was a little like watching it was like the sparkly magic. Yeah, it's very. That's very much how it is in the in the reboot of Charmed. Like right. it's very sparkly magic. Yeah, and I agree with you because you said that you you prefer like the natural magic feel of the original Quote unquote, naturalistic. Yes. Yes. I like mm-hmm. it to feel more, I mean, sure. There are things that they do that are like nice tricks, like with the glamours and there are, there are practical effects in the movie for magic, but I didn't, I, I don't know, like sparkly stuff feels very fairy like. And I don't know. I just, it, I, I was a little turned off by that. Uh, but, uh, the, the bedroom they show in the trailer, there are, there are fever ray posters on the wall, which super excited me. I'm like, well, I already like whoever that bedroom is. That's awesome. Uh, you know, the, uh, production designer, like, you know, brought in this like super queer, you know, uh, artist to hang on this child's wall. I think it's super exciting. Uh, and you know, and there were other things in the trailer that I was like, ah, oh, cool. Look, David Duchovny. Great. Getting a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, yeah, I just didn't like the sparkles stuff. Yeah. It kind of turned me off in that sense of like, yeah, magic. I don't know. I like, I like it to be rooted a little bit more in reality. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, in, <laughs> I know in the sense of the, of the story. I got you. I got you. You know, um, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna, gonna read you for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also watch, I was talking with my friend, uh, Jeannie. 
who is also following our calendar. And um, we used to work together. She sat right next to me. And like, when I found out that she was a horror fan, um, like we became like super bad. (laughs) We became like best cubicle friends. Um, uh, So Jeannie, we were talking a little bit about the craft uh, trailer, the new craft trailer. And I was like, oh my God, like, wouldn't it be awesome if like there was a cameo? Like, who do you think the cameo is going to be? The surprise cameo from one of the original members. And in my heart of hearts, I was like, I really hope that it's Rachel True. Like, oh, I hope yes. that, yeah. I hope that Rachel True is in it. And I hope Rachel True is the, um, is like the owner of the like Wicca store. Because that's kind of what she is now. Like, she is kind of like this, you know, she's a practitioner of tarot and all this stuff. And so I'm like, I really want, um, I really want it to be Rachel True. (laughs) Yeah, I've not heard anything. Um, I I thought back, she did an interview uh, a couple months ago with that Langston site with um, Nocturnal Emissions podcast. And I think she said she wasn't involved. Like, none of them are. Uh, but you know, that could just be her saying that. So we'll hold out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, yeah, definitely. We shall see. So yeah, that's pretty much all the news that's fit to print. <laughs> in this, You know, I was like, let's keep it short today. No, let's talk <laughs> for half an hour. Oh, um, Ryan Murphy is going to do a Jeffrey Dahmer thing. Oh, I know. I saw that. Uh, so we will definitely talk more about that when it comes to fruition. Yeah. Very, very curious. Um, yeah, that's all I can say. It's all, that's all I want to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't decide if I think it's good or bad uh, that he is doing that. So we'll see. Well, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer is going to be played by Darren Chris <laughs> <laughs> or Finn Whitrock or insert. <laughs> I hope not. They need to find somebody else. One well, of the thing is, is if, okay, so there's two Ryan Murphys. Like if he's going to do it the way they did like OJ, cool. That could be very interesting. Um, and doing it more like American Crime Story. If mm-hmm. they're going to do it like Ratchet. <laughs> It's just, you know, these are that he was a real person who hurt real people and whose families are all still alive out there still with the repercussions of what happened. So I just think we kind of have to be careful. And Mm -hmm. because of the particulars of the Jeffrey Dahmer case, um, they lend themselves to a lot of really uh, wild memes and myths and things that are not true about the case. Uh, that people believe are true about the case. And so it's like, it, it depends on how grounded in reality it's going to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, so it's like, if it's going to be like Jeffrey Dahmer doing, you know, uh, musical theater, psycho killer, you know, it's like, yes, you say like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it could go really, it could be really tasteless. It, it, yeah. It could be like, you know, all of a sudden Jeffrey Dahmer's doing the name game and right. it's, <laughs> it could just go really far off and be really kind of disrespectful, I think, to, to people if it's not done right. It'll be like him yeah. singing, I want to hold your hand, and it's like a severed hand. Like, you exactly. know, just, yeah. Yeah. Joe, so you already know. He should be hiring you. I mean, like, you, I can I can write this in my sleep. There. Like, we can, <laughs> we can take this there. Um, yeah, but uh, so that, we'll see. Yeah, I thought that he was fairly respectful with, like, even, like, um, the assassination of Gianni Versace. Like, I yeah. thought that he was also respectful there. So yeah. I wonder if this... It's possible. Yeah, it is possible. But again, like you said, there are two Ryan Murphys. Yeah. Um, 
So we'll see. I'm curious, very curious. And, you know, I'll definitely check it out. Uh, but I just, you know, yeah, it's just kind of like, what, what, what exactly will it be? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, so much, so much to do. So again, uh, dear listener, you know, check out the links below for uh, our new merch, our 31 Days of Halloween Horror calendar, and um, yeah, it's going to be a super fun Halloween season, and we're going to be back in just a moment to kick off our Halloween 2020 series, which is going to be all about representations of the devil and Satanism for the next four weeks, Joe and the devil. It's going to be fun. Um, (laughs) So we will uh, be right back. I just want to apologize. I'm sorry to everyone. I was very naive and very stupid, and I shouldn't have put other people in danger. I am so sorry for everything that has happened, because in spite of what Joshua says, it's now all my fault. I insisted our listeners subscribe to Fright School on Apple Podcasts. I insisted they leave us reviews. I insisted that they give us a five-star rating. And it's all because of me that we're here now and we're being hunted. I love you, Mom and Dad. I am so sorry. I only wanted to make good content for our listeners. I am so scared. I'm going to die out here. Joshua, is that you? All right, we are back. Hello. <laughs> so I'm I'm kind of excited about the next few weeks. We've got a cool lineup of films, uh, and one very special guest uh, that'll be joining us, and it's all about the devil, Satanism, <gasps> uh, the ways that Father Lucifer shows his face, his unholy face, through cinema. Um, through four very particular films that all take on the devil in different ways, the devil and Satanism. And I think it's actually very exciting and I'm, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. So obviously this cannot be all encompassing for movies to talk about the devil. So this will probably be a series that will continue in other ways. Uh, it's also kind of grounded in some of our early episodes with the exorcist and Rosemary's baby. Today's film, the omen is considered part of the unholy Trinity of those of, of like those 1970s, late sixties, 70, early seventies, uh, films that dealt with and brought Satanism and the devil to pop culture consciousness in a very serious way. Um, in a very, um, kind of a practical 
you know, way that kind of like, you know, made the American public want to go back to church and want to go, you know, get, uh, think seriously about the implications of evil in the world uh, through, through pop culture that they were seeing. Obviously the exorcist was a huge hit. Rosemary's baby was a huge hit. And the omen also was a very big hit, not as big of a hit as the others, but given it was made for nothing at the time, I mean like 2 million bucks, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it did, it did fairly well and is grounded in its own sense of reality. So the omen, Again, 1976, that's what we're doing today. Uh, the other films, uh, you know, throughout the next few will be, I don't know. I think this one is probably, well, I don't want to say that. They all definitely deal with the devil. But this is a very, I think this is the most biblical. But anyways, we'll just see as the conversation continues over the next few weeks. So, The Omen, 1976. Uh, we got directed by Richard Donner, written by David Seltzer, who also wrote the novelization of the book, uh, which I guess is why he didn't write the sequels, because somehow he had the rights to the novelization, which was a huge hit. And it came out, I think, a m- couple months, maybe, or a few weeks or something <clears throat> before the before the film. Mm-hmm. And he had sole rights, so he made all the money from the book, which he has said in interviews he's not... Uh, too grieved about because he got a raw deal on the writing of the screenplay. So, uh, <laughs> but the people behind, you know, the, the movie people wanted a cut of the book's profits and he was like, fuck off. Uh, I have soul rights. So that's kind of why the other films are uh, different. They're, they're not what his idea of the overall trilogy he may have written or the four movies he may have written. So we'll never know. Um, anyways, we've got uh, Gregory Peck, who brings uh, some gravitas to the role. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lee Remick, David Warner, Harvey Spencer Stevens, Billy Whitelaw, uh, all, you know, all kinds of people, obviously plot follows little Damien Thorne, a uh, child who gets switched out with another child for the, uh, for um, Gregory Peck's character, who is a diplomat. And turns out that this uh, child may be the antichrist. So, that's what we're talking about today. Joe, what did you think? Um, well, as a as a as someone who was raised a Catholic, um, how dare you? Like, <laughs> I know, and you watched it. We're recording on a Sunday. On a Sunday. Uh, yes, even though it is Monday, I don't know what anybody's talking about. It's Monday, October fifth. <laughs> course uh but uh you watched it on a sunday i did watch it on a sunday um i I was like okay well i'm gonna watch this during the daytime this is one of those daytime horror movies because i don't want to have dreams like i don't want to have to like you know take a melatonin um but yeah i thought it was really i mean it was very much like exorcist vibes very much rosemary's baby vibes um Again, I was like, wow, we were really concerned with people's immortal souls and the devil returning in the late 70s. Um, I I did love, um, there were a couple of things that we'll talk about in a little bit. But I mean, overall, I thought it was, I thought it was a fun watch. Because um, when it goes there, it does go there. Um, this is probably the, like, this is, th- this really makes me want to watch the remake 
um, which was like what from 2006, right? Oh yeah, June 6, 2006. <laughs> yeah, I, it really makes me want to watch the remake. Um, which I which I don't usually say about like other films. Like I, you know, I wasn't too interested in watching Carrie the remake and and you know others, but this one particularly, I do want to watch. Um, you mean the latest Chloe Moretz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, I think this one I do yeah. want to watch. Um, and the whole time I'm just like. The whole time I'm like, wow, Gregory Peck has a kid. Like he was 60 at the time. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> I was like, Atticus Finch was like 60 at the time. Um, which is the whole time I'm thinking about this. I'm like, oh my God, it's Atticus Finch. Atticus Finch is in here. Um, yes. And that will come up in our later discussion. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, but, overall, no, it was, I mean, what's his name? Didn't he just have a baby at 70 something Richard Gere or one of the Rolling Stones or so? I don't know. I feel like they're always having babies, even though they're all in their 60s and 70s. Very so true. In the 60s, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. I mean, this is a diplomat, you know, he needs an heir, I imagine, of some sort. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I was very like, I think what I, I think, I think I was very much, um, uh, amused, I should say, or about like, cause I've seen a fair amount of like apocalyptic, um, like re- revelations, apocalypse type movies. Right. Um, and I feel like this is definitely like the, uh, this is like the proto like revelation style apocalypse movie. Um, and this is definitely like, I can see where, how all of those things that I watch were like referencing elements and aspects of the omen yeah and some of them are not necessarily they're not necessarily horror but they're also not necessarily um, not necessarily horror but also not necessarily like um not horror either uh, but yeah i mean overall it was nice to again as is what happens on our show it's nice to like see the beginning where the genesis uh, mind the pun of of all of uh those types of films that I've seen and like that comes from. Yeah, absolutely. Did you watch um, Good Omens on Amazon? Mm-mm, no. Oh, you have to watch it now because of the context of having seen The Omen, because it's basically like a really hysterical retelling of The Omen story with, mm, you know, okay, to some degree. Along with like apocalyptic, you know, Book of Revelations, biblical stuff. Um, obviously, very tongue in cheek, very you know, satirical, a lot of fun though, about kind of the fuck ups that happen when you give the antichrist to the wrong couple, you know, when the, when the machinations of evil, uh, are not successful, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, but again, evil finds a way, you know, so even though the, you know, the child in question isn't the right child, you know, the or the wrong one i guess in this sense <laughs> uh yeah so you should definitely watch good omens because i think you'd really enjoy it now and it's really funny and uh, kind of a cool take on the omen story so kind of the way i see it is there are and this is kind of how we'll we'll run the the conversation here is there are three overarching um analyses of the omen and how to situate it you know in in context of the time and our, this show, you know, cause what do we do mm-hmm. other than overcomplicate horror films? That's the whole goal. of <laughs> <laughs> Many, so, many people would say that. <laughs> right. So you have one biblical allegory, obviously. Mm-hmm. 
two, political allegory, and three, the what I'm kind of calling like the child problem, the generational problem, or maybe not problem, but fact of the 60s and 70s, you know, which contextualizes Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist as well. So we'll kind of wrap up a few points uh, in that in that third part. So we'll start with uh, biblical allegory, which I think is the most obvious, uh, bold-faced, no real analysis even needed. You know, it is the very real concern of biblical prophecy as um, predicted by the book of Revelation. And so there are, I mean, it seems like there are some differing opinions out there of the people who made this film, you know, the writer, the director, you know, what they were trying to do. So we kind of have to take that everybody involved thought they were getting maybe something else out of it, you mm-hmm. know, and so you have people who were involved that were religious and who mm-hmm. wanted to present a very real warning to us all about how the antichrist will come into existence and how he will, or they will gain power and, um, and, and destroy the world, (laughs) you know? So it's that very real fear, which again is sort of why the exorcist and this film drove people back to the church because it was like, this is going to happen. And when you make a film like this and you put somebody like Gregory Peck in and then you ground it, because the original novel and the original screenplay had a lot more like supernatural elements and very mm-hmm. like, you know, um, I, I think a little bit higher. Uh, what do you want to say it in that kind of uh, supernatural mm-hmm. space? And so that was one of the first things that the director, Donner, did was to carve some of that away and choose not to show representations. Like, for instance, there's a scene in the cemetery where there were supposed to be these, like, humpback creatures wandering around, um, you know, that there were other very clear supernatural things at work. Whereas by making the choice to center it a little bit more in reality, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. by having the deaths all be sort of accidental, you know, or coincidental things, you know, mired by Gregory Peck's character getting involved with this like photographer who seems very paranoid and is helping to amplify the situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so by doing that, it kind of grounded this, it gave this, film a little bit more gravitas and a little bit more seriousness that people could go to it and be like, wow, this got Gregory Peck to come back to making films because his own son, or I'm not sure if son or daughter, but his own child had committed suicide and he'd kind of retreated, you know, from, from making films. So this was a way his agents got him out of the house and working and to work through that. So that what a strange film, by the way, (laughs) like, you know, because at the end, he's very much like, I'm going to kill my son. <laughs> right. Yes. And um, again, we'll co- we'll talk a little bit about that. I'm sort of getting ahead of myself even with, with bringing that up now. But, um, you know, they, I, I think that the, just the idea of it giving that kind of gravitas and having him come into it really added a layer of seriousness to Christian people. Again, I should... I should have said this at the beginning, our discussion of the devil and Satanism is going to be given a very clear American Christian context. So not, we, I mean, we may, this may be an opportunity to explore other films uh, about Mm -hmm. the devil through other cultural lenses, but Fright School, obviously we've kind of always centered because we're Americans, we've centered the American experience. So this is very clearly a discussion of the devil as 
presented by Christian mythology. Um, so <laughs> American evangelical Christian mythology. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you have people that go to it and they see this film and they were very, very concerned that this was a reality. And just like any, you know, we're constantly saying the world is ending and, you know, Obama is the antichrist. Trump is the antichrist. Uh, Oprah is the antichrist, uh, which I think is, could possibly be a thing. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't know. Um, I don't look under your chair. <laughs> Right, exactly. Everybody, brimstone for everyone. <laughs> Fire and brimstone. <laughs> so, to that end, Joe, I'm curious about your thoughts watching it, having grown up Catholic. And do you remember any conversations about the omen or concerns? Well, n- no, none about the omen. Um, I think I brought this up when we talked about The Exorcist, like The Exorcist was a film that really affected one of my aunts, um, my mom's oldest sister, my very Catholic aunt. And so, you know, and I just figured like, well, you know, I wasn't going to necessarily watch anything that was like about the devil. Um, And then I'm not someone who, and all the stuff that I've watched it's from that kind of like Christian revelation style apocalypse. Right. Um, so I can very much see that because growing up, um, you know, like I grew up on an Island that was very like the patron saint of the Island is like the Virgin Mary. And mm-hmm. so, you know, a lo- any, if it was Mary, we were, we were all about it and we were all about Mary. <laughs> There's something about Mary. Um, you were all but, friends of Mary. Exactly. Um, and we, Growing up, you know, you heard a lot about, like, the secrets of Fatima and, you know, Metagorgy and all these places in which, like, you know, there are things that are being to be revealed about the end of days. And which is something that's very real when you, like, live on an island in the middle of nowhere. Like, you're just kind of alone with your thoughts a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, But, you know, the, the threat of, like, Satan is always, it has was always there. And so I don't think I ever heard anything about the omen. I think the only time I, the first mention of the omen was actually when I was in my church's youth choir and one of the girls who like, she was a, she was a little older than me. She was a soloist. She had a really great voice. Um, she was also kind of had a gothy streak, you know, a gothy punk streak, especially for that time in like the late nineties, early two thousands. And um, it was great because she said that like her brother wanted to pick, for his like confirmation name, Damien, <laughs> which is the son, specifically because he's the son of the devil. Um, but there is a Saint Damien. Um, and so, so yeah, so like that was the first time. And then I don't think I've ever heard anything else about it until maybe 2006 when we got the, you know, started seeing ads for the remake. Wasn't there um, Saint Damien? Oh, was well, there's Father Damien or Saint Damien. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cosmos and Damien. I believe so. Well, leprosy, and I think Damien, that particular Damien was the Damien that is like often recited in like a, the litany of saints in in Catholic tradition. I believe is um, either like a father or a doctor of the church. Um, wow. Always, really, Saint Damien considered the spiritual patron for leprosy and outcasts. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just sorry, sorry just tossing that out there. <laughs> go ahead no, for sure and 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 yeah so the devil has always been has definitely been there 
Yeah. Um, in fact, like, you know, my sister, she, she won't watch any like supernaturally type horror, um, or like horror about, you know, like the devil, (laughs) um, specifically, um, because of the fear of invitation. Well, that's the, yeah, that's the other thing too, is that like, you know, you're also inviting, it's, it's like an invitation as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but again, like, you know, we, um, doing this show, opening my mind up to more, um, to other, you know, to other things too. Um, you, you see how like, you know, you, it, it, it further complicates my idea of the devil. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the next few weeks we will definitely overcomplicate your relationship. Oh, with I the can't devil. wait. <laughs> So yeah, uh, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, the long drawn out way of saying like, no, um, I don't ever remember hearing the omen except for that one time. Yeah, it was always kind of lingered over me because that my my name going into the hospital was Damien, mm. um, from what my mother told me, and my aunts talked her out of it because of the omen. Uh, you know, so they, so it's kind of always been this thing in my life, you mm-hmm. know, that it's like that could have been my name. I also truly believe that had it been, I probably wouldn't be as spooky kooky as I am, you know, because I think that people would have put that on me more, you know? Mm. And so I think I, I, I wonder if I would have ran kind of the other direction, <laughs> you know, because you would have, you know, living with that, like walking around, especially in the eighties, like now it's not that big of a deal. Like I said, one of my, uh, one of our doctors at work just had a son and named him Damien. And I, you know, and I saw him and I was like, hail you know, Damien, you know, hail Satan. And he's like, what? I'm like, Oh, the omen, you know, but it was like, it's kind of lost. I think a little bit of that edge, but well, in I mean, the early eighties, it's still yeah. very much was tied. That name was tied to the omen. And so it's mm-hmm. kind of like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> well, and also think about like, I mean, we just celebrated mean girls day recently. Like right. <laughs> Damien is the name of, you know, uh, Danny Francesi's character. And that's true. It, it, it loses, it's kind of lost its, um, it's punch a yeah, little bit, if you will. So. You know, and who knows, maybe, I mean, if I would have still been raised, I mean, obviously if I would have had that name and then, you know, still had all the same history, maybe I would be exactly the same as I am now. I don't know, but there's kind of that philosophy of names, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that, get, that, that the names that we're given kind of influence over our life. And I think, yeah, if I would have been raised and grew up in that time where the omen was still pretty, you know, attached to popular consciousness in a certain way, um, everybody bringing it up would have probably been annoying to me, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of the way it is now with Joshua. It's very annoying when people tell me about my biblical name and they talk about Jesus and Yahweh. I was going to say, I was like, your Joshua is like, it's it's the opposite of, (laughs) of you know, (laughs) I know. It's like, wow, what, what a way to divert. Yeah, so I think that growing up constantly, and people do it to me all the time, you know, when I answer the phone, you know, and this is Joshua, it's like, oh, that's such a beautiful name. Do you know where it comes from? I'm like, no, not at all. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You tell me. Uh, So, yeah, so I I do, I I find the whole, like, apocalyptic revelation, like, I, I, you know, I think it's very, very fascinating, uh, you know, that the Christian ideology waits for the rise of the son of Satan to destroy the world and create this epic, you know, final battle. Um, you know, and so obviously the omen as warning of that, it, as contextualized in this time frame, um, 
you know, with just everything else going on, uh, where was I? There was something I, I read earlier that I thought was really great. Uh, oh, shoot. I'm not going to be able to find it now because that's how, that's how this works. Uh, I think it's, I think it got lost anyways, but just like in the seventies with everything else going on, you know, the world already felt like it was falling apart, you know, with the Vietnam war and then the Watergate scandal. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're having this massive cultural shift between ideologies of the fifties and ideologies of the seventies and the way like Mm -hmm. we were changing, you know, so it's like this whole, it fits, the omen fits really well in that apocalyptic uh, theory of horror that we kind of talked about a little bit with like the Texas chainsaw massacre and sort of the breaking down of society and the inversion of like the nuclear family. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. you know, and so here in the Omen, the devil is using the family unit, you know, and sort of warping it to bring about, you know, the end of the world in, in one way is Mm -hmm. one reading. Uh, So I just think, you know, the Omen, you can watch it as that, you know, and religious people have, and it's been interpreted that way just on its, on its very, um, on the surface, as that it is about the child of the devil coming into the world and destroying it. Easy. <laughs> um, I did learn a little something while we were doing, while I was reading different analysis of the omen, and this is from Infinite Ocean Analysis of the o- Omen by Mar Gorshin. And so it, this kind of is a little bit of a transition into talking about the omen uh, and um, revelation and all of this as actual political allegory and not serious spiritual allegory. Mm -hmm. But uh, before he gets into that, he talks about the biblical antichrist was most likely Nero, the most Mm -hmm. powerful man in the Greco Roman world at the time when members of the early church were writing the new Testament manuscripts a man who persecuted Christians and was believed to still be alive when the revelation was written. Uh, even the early church fathers could count the number of the beast. And when calculated 666 through Aramaic using Hebrew letters to render the Greek version of his name as Neron Caesar uh, is the numerical value is 666. And also uh, it can also be interpreted as 616, an alternative version of the number of the beast as given in some of the early manuscripts of the revelation. Um, I never heard that before. You know? Really? Um, no, I, again, I'm not, a, my, I, I enjoy theology and I read a lot about different religions, but this was something I had never really read before of contextualizing the antichrist as a very real person at that time, I've heard Antichrist be interpreted as there's no such thing as one Antichrist, but anything that is against Christ is Antichrist, so that there are mm-hmm. millions of things that could, you know, millions of people that could be considered the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. I've heard that reading of that, but not but not this, like, particular Nero as the Antichrist figure, and that we're not waiting for them to come because they already were here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so um, on that, I've heard that um, I heard that very early on, actually, you know, because there was kind of a resurgence of revelation style stuff that happened at the, the, at the around the new millennium. Um, you know, all of those fears of like the revelation and then with uh, the Pope uh, releasing the fourth secret of Fatima and all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, but, but like, yeah, revelation scholars and the way um, my understanding of it and kind of, and kind of how I've uh, approached it since then. And maybe I've approached it in this way because it, 
it offers me comfort that it's not like a prediction and prophecy of the end of times, but, but, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's coded language. Like it was written as coded language because Christians were still being very much persecuted at this time. And so it was written as a way for um, Christians to communicate themselves, uh, to communicate to others through story. Um, But I've definitely heard the 666 actually 666 is Nero and, um, and all that stuff, which, you know, again, when we go back to the film, I think the most, the, one of the more interesting sections, uh, scenes in the film is when they're, uh, when, uh, Ambassador Thorne and, um, the photographer are going over like the, the nuances of the rhyme and the scripture and talking about how like, you know, that it's the, that, oh, I think it's with the ocean or whatever, the infinite ocean or something I'm like so- that. I'm so happy right now because you did like the perfect transition. Yeah. What exactly I was going to talk about next. So the omen, when Mm -hmm. the Jews return to Zion and a comet rips the sky and the Holy Roman empire rises, then you and I must die from the eternal sea. He rises, creating armies on either shore, turning man against his brother till man exists no more. So contextualizing that within a political allegorical analysis is that where you were going yeah yeah exactly so one key to understanding the political materialist meaning of the movie is the poem that's recited the jews have returned to zion the creation of the state of israel Mm -hmm. the holy roman empire rising is understood to be the treaty of rome and the establishment of the european common market which would evolve eventually into the eu which as a capitalist entity cannot be a good thing (laughs) for the eu (laughs) in turn has gone hand in hand with u.s nato imperialism speaking of u.s nato imperialism one connection of the cia with western europe has been gladio a stay behind organization in italy that arose during the cold war to help defend against possible attacks from the warsaw pact but could have also been responsible for many terrorists attacks in Europe. It's just, this is so fascinating to me, this whole, like, everything that's kind of encapsulated in this poem. From the eternal sea, the Antichrist rises, he, quote-unquote, representing all that is evil in the eternal sea, the world of politics, the sea that constantly rages with the turmoil and revolution, the devil's child will rise from the world of politics. This child will be creating armies on either shore, like the buildup of NATO, its armies on one side of the North Atlantic Ocean, and the U.S. Army on the other side. Now, consider how over 35 years since the original Omen was filmed, those armies on either shore are bigger, more numerously manned, and more powerful than ever, with no more substantial communist threat for the U.S.-NATO to worry about. Yet, you know, we're in this kind of new Cold War with Russia, NATO buildup on the Russian border... Um, tensions with North Korea, Iran, China, the unending war on terror uh, that has destroyed lives in Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Syria. You know, we're World War Three on the uh, on the horizon, turning man against his brother till man exists no more. So that contextualizing the omen as that being, it's a it's a very true omen, a very mm-hmm. You know, as as uh, again quoted from this uh, more Gorshin dot uh, com analysis, uh, arguing that the movie is a political allegory, using biblical prophecy as an allegory for the real warning of what will happen if we don't change the direction of uh, the world is going in. Uh, so, using you know biblical, you know, this fight between good and evil, which 
kind of brings me to introduce. So this, this might get a little, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to talk about this next part in a way that will sort of make sense. Of course, there'll be links. So if I can't make it make sense, like, please read it yourself. Uh, so there's this concept of uh, Marxist ideology of uh, dialectic materialism. <laughs> so I know this is, this is going to sound really, very strange. So um, is this whole, is the reason why you chose this movie just to bring up dialectic materialism? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it came about in my research. I was like, Oh, this is interesting. So we kind of have dialectical materialism is a theory of history, which is materialist, you know, rejects supernatural or spiritual factors as causative agents in history, but also material as in the material things of society, labor practice, ownership of things, consumption of resources. So materialism with uh, dialectical ideas, which is the uh, history is the product of struggle between opposing forces that create new thing, new syntheses over time. So <laughs> contextualizing history as this sort of like we're evolving through numerous modes of production, beginning in prehistory with primitive communism, hunter gatherer societies, agrarian enslaved peoples based economies like ancient empires, feudalism, uh, capitalism. And then once again, sometime in the future, if we're going to survive, likely becoming some form of communist society again, uh, one that shares a, a little bit better than we do now. So the uh, so how that applies to the omen in particular is if you take if we're talking about how this is a political allegory about the struggles, particularly between these what seem like contradictory ideas, like. In society right now, we talk about the rich, go, like, um, you know, going on TV and talking about we have to solve world hunger, please send us money. Well, you're asking the very people that need the money <laughs> to mm -hmm. contribute to ending poverty, you know, when you could end it when you, you have all this money. And there is a scene in The Omen, actually, I'm not sure if it's in the movie or the... Um, or, or the novel where that comes that that very realistically comes into question where it's like, why don't you give of your resources? to help, you know, mm -hmm. like you're wealthy, like, you know, and you're talking about changing the world, you know, so there's these, so the idea though is also that one cannot exist without the other, um, you know, so good and evil, good precludes obviously an evil, an opposite, you know, in order to exist, um, poor, and the wealthy, you know, so that's kind of where I'm trying to go with talking about this as a, as a, um, a material battle between contradictions, one that has mm. occurred throughout, not just biblical history, but history in general in the novel, it's Jeremy Thorne, um, instead of Robert. And he's giving a speech on the issue of world poverty and a communist heckles him asking why he doesn't give up his own enormous wealth to feed the poor. Liberal leaning Thorne can't help but agree with a communist, though he'd never want to be called a commie by the press. So we see the real materialist basis of evil and political corruption symbolized by the rise of the Antichrist and his war with God. The material contradictions between the ruling class and the poor. Capitalism. 
So as capital is accumulated, there's a fear that the tendency of the rate of profit to fall will endanger the survival of one's business. So businesses must expand. Markets must be sought out in foreign countries where, where we can accumulate more capital. Uh, this creates and leads to imperialism. So we're fighting wars, all the warmongering in the Middle East for oil, the biblical fundamentalists who tend to be apologists for capitalism, instead of trying to prove that the Revelation's prophecies are of things in today's world, would do well to focus on verses such as the love of money is the root of all evil. So being a good Christian ought to be about helping the poor, downtrodden, and unfortunate, rather than engaging in speculative nonsense about relating biblical prophecies to today's world. Uh, so we have these conservative Christians who dismiss the ideas of helping the poor and disadvantaged as socialism, the tyranny of the state, they speak of voluntarily helping the poor, but it's shown that, you know, there are lots of studies out there that atheists or people who are agnostic are far more f philanthropic than mm -hmm. Christians or than religious people and give more to mm -hmm. charity. Um, and, you know, the propaganda about moderate leftism is social democracy, you know, kind of attacking all of that. So... Uh, sorry, I know this is a lot of like kind of heavier things, but I, I do, I find it very fascinating when contextualizing all of this with religion and politics, how it, they do seem to be contradictory. Like, how can you be a capitalist and also be a Christian? You know, when Jesus like kicked the money lenders out or, you know, attack people for selling, you know, the church, you know, or, or the ideas of the church. Uh, so as it goes as it goes along, you know, again, I mean, this is all just kind of giving a heavy weight to <laughs> to the omen is sort of a, a warning of like late stage capitalism, you know, all the fear mongering that happens, um, you know, the arms deals that are made with our enemies, you know, selling, you know, violence and torture, mm -hmm. and, you know, all of this stuff in the name of oil, in the name of material things will be the destruction of everything. And that is what at least this one person's analysis of the omen is that's, that's what it's truly a warning about. And that is what even going, taking it back to the biblical allegory, that's what revelation is about. Revelation is about not that these monsters are going to actually climb up out of the, you know, the oceans and things, but that they are already here and they are already working to undo the good in the world by, you know, idolizing money and material objects over, you know, common interest, you know, the global warming debate, like why everything is so politicized now, especially religiously, you know, a lot, you know, this, it does come from, you know, like the evangelicals, you know, even we're seeing the way masks are being, you know, politicized, the way a pandemic is mm -hmm. being politicized. And you have a lot of it, you know, these opposing forces of people who are like, I'm a very, I'm a good Christian person and Trump represents my good Christian interests. <laughs> it's like, really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like how, how do those things, the contradictory nature of that. And that's yeah. sort of, I think where the person is going with this idea of dialectic materialism and, you know, how these contradictions can exist side by side and how they will force a true revelation in our culture one day, either via civil war or through some sort of, um, large scale understanding that the way that our society operates now is going to kill us if we don't change it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> I've been trying to figure out how to, 
I know it's all over the place. I mean, it's 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 bonkersville, but um, <laughs> I mean, I I think I'm surprised that I was able to follow you, um, dear listener. If you were able, if you're still there, <laughs> thank I know, you. I'm sorry, um, but but you know, it's on that point. I mean, it's just you're you know because you bring up like the ideas, like you know the idea, the fundamental, like I like just Christ at his word, you know, when you're right. looking at, when you're looking at the speaking of like the, the new Testament teachings, like Christ at his word, it's just this very kind of, you know, it's a very non-materialistic in um, many, in all aspects of the definition and uh, a very socialist communist message. Um, and um, it's interesting that like, you know, this, uh, just like the fact that like, you know, he's going to rise through political power. Like, right. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, of course, because that's kind of how, you know, the, that's how, that's the only way to do so. And that, I think that was one of the more chilling things in the, in the, um, in the film that got me was the fact that like, Oh, it's going to rise through political power. And then, you know, we are in a political cycle right now. We're less right. than a month away from, you know, um, uh, from that, well, voting is happening right now. Um, I think that's important to also mention. You know, we're in the middle of a political cycle right now. So if things are going to happen, they're going to happen in that way. And it just kind of reinforces to me that, like, sometimes, you know, a lot of the change that needs to happen is um, a lot of change that 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 um, needs to happen sometimes is not anything that can be accomplished working within a political framework. Like it can, I mean, everything is political, but in like the, the capital P politics type of traditional political framework. I mean, I think what people fail to realize, especially like, you know, megachurch evangelical white Christians fail to realize is that, you know, the savior that they're think the savior that they, you know, are trying, are saying that they uh, love and are trying to serve was like, you know, a political prisoner who was murdered by the state. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was a political dissident who was murdered by the state. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought reading that, that sort of analysis of the omen and, and culturally and politically like how, where it fits in and in, in a time of, you know, tremendous change with mm-hmm. American uh, politics and American culture, you know, and then kind of connecting that to the ways that class uh, class consciousness, class division, class struggle is a, is a real drive for change. And obviously we're seeing that now with what's happening, you know, that there is a massive upheaval and we're having a big conversation about, um, you know, the ways in which poverty and racism and sexism and, you know, these, these misogynistic, patriarchal, capitalist, and all of that kind of stuff, how that intersects and, and, and drives, you know, this, need to fight back, you know, mm-hmm. to, to need to make change. So the third, moving on now, back to kind of, I'm trying to have a little uh, more fun. Um, <laughs> the third kind of analysis of the omen in context with Rosemary's Baby and the Exorcist is this idea that, you know, at this time, parents of counterculture kids, you know, were not recognizing their own children. You know, they, we have this uh, political and racial unrests, you know, are changing culture. 
mm-hmm. so it's no wonder at this time the idea of the devil sending his only begotten son to trigger the apocalypse would uh, resonate with audiences so well. Uh, <laughs> so if we take the film, if we take the po- political allegory out of it and you take the biblical allegory out of it, if you look at it just about a father, and this is kind of what I was reading that the way kind of Gregory Peck was approaching the material so that he could kind of like, you know, be in this world and be comfortable doing this. Cause he really didn't want to be part of some schlocky, you know, slasher horror film is, you know, you have a father who he's got a big secret from his wife, obviously their actual mm-hmm. son died. He's traded it out for this other kid, which horrifying, horrifying, <laughs> but like, you know, on par for cis hit white men in horror, like, <laughs> you know, uh, on par. And then also just like, you know, the priest being like, it's a gift from God. And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> horrifying 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 yeah so and this is coming from this pop matters uh the omen so yeah according to director richard donner his initial approach to the film was that of a father's worst nightmare an unsettling story of a prominent man of political importance who committed an act five years before that haunts him daily all the ritualistic killings importance of evil just coincidences that feed his growing parental paranoia and it was this interpretation of the material that got Oscar-winning heavyweight Gregory Peck to sign on. Um, yeah, he didn't want to be a mere cog in a supernatural scare fest. So, yeah. So we can also take it as that kind of thing, where it is sort of these terrible events, you know, coincidences are happening, you know, around it, around this man's family. You know, he's feeling guilty. He's, you know gets involved with this guy who's helping to inflame his paranoia and you know so it kind of snowballs from there and mm-hmm. um i like this the uh, all shivers aside many people miss the pragmatic aspects within the devil trilogy rosemary's baby the exorcist the omen rosemary's problems have as much to do with the craven cult using her as a vessel for an unholy nativity as they do with her loss of individual identity um the exorcist made during the massive divide between peace-loving young people and the warmongering establishment um it's a significant exploration of the parent-child generation gap remember when your mother or father referred to you or siblings as little monsters freak mm-hmm. with the ocean mixing puberty and profanity into the saga to underscore one single mother's ultimate nightmare. And the omen adds another layer to this baffling biological state. It argues for a baby's ability to divide a home, create a sense of instant alienation from one's own life. Uh, In Kathy Thorne, we have postpartum depression taken to apocalyptic levels. Um, For Robert, the situation is much more complex. He believed the child would cure Kathy of her need to nurture, yet he never understood the depth of that sentiment. He thought any babe would do. Turns out a woman's instincts work overtime when it comes to genetic connections. Well, I don't know, but I mean, that's just... Yeah, that might might be a little... (laughs) Yeah, who knows, but um, that's a little bit. But I, I overall like the sentiment of connecting, you know, again, like the ways and that's why i kind of wanted to start with the omen one because it's iconic but also because it pitches the devil within 
within a child. And so mm-hmm. each subsequent film, we kind of, we're going to analyze the devil from a different perspective. So starting with this, with this, you know, evil wears the most innocent face of all kind of thing, you know, you have the child and this, yeah, I think that is very real. I was just having a conversation with a friend about, you know, they live with a child who is not their, is not their child. It's their partner's child. And regardless, they all live together. And so, you know, it, it, it becomes like the partners are, are, are the child's parents, but that is not the case, you know? Mm. So it just kind of made me think about in context of the omen the and in that comment about the ways children disrupt our lives um, and not in a malicious way. It's just the nature of having a child. If you decide to have a child and you bring them into your life, many realities of your life will change, you know, and, and, and children and teenagers by definition are very selfish creatures. You know, they need a lot of attention. They need a lot of help. They need a lot of work, you know? So I think that's a very kind of a cool way to think about the omen as being sort of this disruption in their life. And then obviously all these bad things happen and, you know, Gregory Peck ends the movie Atticus Finch, the world's greatest father, you know, archetypally, you know, the way we all look at Gregory Peck mm-hmm. and how we hold up Atticus Finch as this great, um, it's paragon of goodness. Yeah, exactly. Is put in this situation where he's going to stab his own child to death because he mm-hmm. thinks he's the devil, uh, which we've also seen echoed in very real news stories. This is a, this is a common or not common. I don't want to say common, but, um, it, you know, when those stories explode, there have been plenty of instances where parents have harmed their children for fear that they were devils or monsters of some sort. Uh, it's a very specific paranoia and a very specific form of, um, of infanticide, you know, ha- harboring this delusion. So it's, and that's what I was going to say about when you brought up Atticus Finch earlier, it's like putting, putting that actor in this situation is mm-hmm. just, I mean, it just is, is a great reversal of, you know, of, of his place in pop culture. And again, you have the devil as a child, you mm-hmm. know, and, mm-hmm. and, and so it kind of also ties to that thing of like, Oh, if I could go back in a time machine, I'd kill baby Hitler. Would you, could you, could you really murder a baby? Um, so having that be the context of like, we have to murder this child cause it's going to bring about the end of the world. I mean, it's just, it's so subversive and so, you know, against like our natural inclination to protect children. Yeah. So that's kind of the third overall, um, analysis I, I read about the omen, you know, of, of that it's, you know, a, a, a father, going through a, a very serious mental breakdown <laughs> paranoia from the church <sighs> wow somewhere out there the, the day it's it's a it's an apocalyptic film about a baby uh satan but um a baby a baby satan little baby satan <laughs> um i the final thoughts that I have are this one. I would never let my domestic worker proceed to run my house for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so classist, Joe. Well, it was just like, it was so interesting. Cause, cause like this woman comes in there and she's like, 
Um, I was like, this should be every type of red flag. <laughs> every type of red flag. You know what I actually thought of when uh, when Blaylock, you're talking about Mrs. Blaylock when she comes mm-hmm. in. And it's very Mary Poppins. Like, she just comes yeah. in like, this will do. I'll work here, you know, and I'm going to be working here now. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, Mary Poppins, a very if Mary Poppins was like a Satanist, right? Like, it's... Yeah. And she's just like, you know, I let him bond with me in my own, in it, in my own, in, in our own way, in his own way. And then the thing with the dog, I was like, oh my God. Like, it's like, don't you think that it would be, don't you think that he would like a dog? He's bonded with him. And I'm like, this, who does this woman think she is? And again, like, I am not classist, but at the same time, like, you know, if anyone was trying, like, it should be, didn't you call for her? I didn't call for her. You're the, you're an United States ambassador, for goodness sake. Where's your security? Like, are we not vetting people, especially after one of, like, your nanny kills herself, um, as a tribute to, you know, your, <laughs> to your son. Um, yeah, to make way for his true guardians to arrive, being Blaylock and the Hellhounds, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> which we see pop up throughout the film. Um, you know, a very, I mean, that's a kind of a, another iconic, you know, thing that gets connected to Satan, you know, the big black dogs, the Hellhounds, um, yeah. and his guardians. <laughs> See, and that's what, and that's what, and I thought about you as well, because I was like, huh, I wonder if this is why Joshua doesn't have dogs. Um, but, but then I thought, I'm like, well, you know, dogs are just the instruments of like, are just like, you know, the, the soldiers of the devil. Um, cats are actually demonic. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. And then also like, you know, um, I mean, looking back, like, you know, having some distance removed from like the last time I set foot into a church, it was really interesting when, um, I think it's Father Brennan, right? The first time we see him in the in in the um the embassy. And, you know, he he's like there and he's saying, you know, accept Christ, drink his blood, eat his flesh. And right. it's like, now you sound <laughs> now you sound a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to kind of get uh, you know, this has been I was already so tangential with my like trying to talk about dialectic um, materialism and Marxism <laughs> and communism in context of the omen. Um, it's an academia <laughs> article. I'm gonna I was going to say, uh, is, this, is this a paper? Uh, right. Uh, it could be, we'll see. might be a chapter in our fright school book if we ever write it. Um, <laughs> but there was this whole idea of like the real, again, that was tied to grounding in like the materialist uh, thoughts you know, of the way of like eating the body and, you know, what is it called? The real presence. It's like the, the, the true the presence, trans, the, the true presence, the transubstantiation, you know, the, mm-hmm. the bread is the body, mm-hmm. the wine is the blood. It, um, and, and that's what like fundamentally that is what um, separates Roman Catholicism from like all other Christian sects is that the idea that they believe in the true presence that at like, you know, through mass, the transubstantiation happens at that point. It's when, you know, when, um, bread becomes flesh and it, and it literal fresh, literal blood. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, that was part of the, and it'll be in this article of, you know, dear listener, if you choose to read this, that's all about the dialectical Marxism, um, materialism thing, uh, talks a little bit about that, emphasizing drinking Christ's blood, needing his flesh. Um, you know, it's emphasizing it in graphic language that sounds like cannibalism. 
Um, you know, so I, I, I do think that's very interesting bringing this sort of like the Eucharist interpretation of a very, like, this is very real material, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So again, we're not, we're not talking about, you know, watching the omen. We're not talking about this spiritual battle. We're talking about a very material world battle, a very real, mm-hmm. the devil is here on earth. Mm-hmm. Evil is real. God is also real and here on earth with us. And mm-hmm. we, you know, we're, we're having a very, um, real world conversation. And Eucharist is not something that like, you know, it's not something that gets brought up when you're talking, when there's like Roman Catholic representations in films, right? because it's such a, like, it's, it's such a, for, I don't know, for whatever reason, it doesn't get brought up as often as I, like, I feel like this is the, the film in recent memory that kind of really emphasizes like the healing saving power of the Eucharist. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's, I, I, I think that's a very fascinating read. And like I said, I wanted to try to bring that up in the earlier conversation, but I'm like, I'm already kind of all over the place. And, um, you know, <laughs> like I said, like, you know, I was really trying to like kind of organize this thought and I have, you know, friends that are, you know, are, are awesome Marxist, uh, Mm-hmm. scholars and and study study then who are going to listen to this and be like joshua what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> i kind of note earlier i'm like y'all i'm going to try to have this marxist conversation about the omen we'll see how it goes <laughs> um either way you know again this is you know the devil you know it, it's sort of like any larger conversations about evil and like God is if God is omnipotent, then God must create evil as well as Mm -hmm. be against it. You know, so it brings up all these other like larger spiritual and biblical implications Mm -hmm. that again, we're going to talk about throughout this entire series uh, and about, you know, the relationship of God and the devil and, you know, humans struggle with between good and evil. Um, So the omen is a good jumping off point. Uh, again, you know, because of, of it being a child and, um, you know, being represented that way in the early days of the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think it's in a lot of different um, Satan movies uh, or works often use politics as a way for the Antichrist to move through and to gain power, um, which makes sense, you know, in our world now. Uh, when it's especially because it's so divided, it's so clear to each and every person who engages, you know, what is good and what is bad. You know, everybody's, everybody's own idea is very clear, you know, and the people who believe that, you know, Trump is a good Christian person and is going to usher in, they believe it, you know, and um, I guess are entitled to that belief. (laughs) But um, yeah, so that was the omen. Um, Yay. Did we, I think we put enough information. I was like, did we solve it? Did we solve the omen? Yeah, like I said, um, I enjoy watching it just as like a fun Satan movie, you know, but I did think it was fun to kind of bring some of these concepts. You know, this was, you know, we haven't had a real academic, like when was the last time we introduced like a real academic term like that? Dialectical like, materialism. Dialectical like, materialism. <laughs> well, I guess you're, um, what was it? Pedagogy. What was that one? Uh, Pedag- yes. Uh, asynchronous pedagogy. <laughs> Pedagogical strategy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there we go. We're we're trying to bring some smarts today, but uh, yeah. So this was the bonus extra big sized edition of Pride School. Um, buy our t shirts. 
Support us. Like us. <laughs> speaking of dialectical <laughs> material. <laughs> yeah, speaking of capitalism. <laughs> um, no. Uh, I love you, dear listener. Thank you for listening to this and continuing to listen. Uh, we appreciate it, as always. <laughs> Joe, I hope you enjoyed the omen overall. And um, I can't wait for more uh, um, hanging with the devil and you. It's going to be <laughs> <Yes>. fun. <laughs> uh, Alrighty. Until next week, um, you know, I wish you nightmares and um, all of that. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.